the Wisconsin Music Podcast. The other side of that coin, what do you think is helping bring musicians to the limelight? In as much as I don't know if there is a scene or scenes in Milwaukee anymore, putting putting quotes around those terms, what I've found since I've been here is that the people I've talked to have been very supportive. People who've been around who put records out before I did, you know, always open with advice, helping other people get gigs. And I don't know if it's the 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 Midwest nice or the the Milwaukee work ethic or what it is, but I think one of the most positive things about this city is you can be at a practice space and you hear can somebody playing and you can stick your head in the door and say, what is that song you're playing? How are you doing that? You know, and somebody said, well, this chord progression is from this, you know, blah, blah, blah. Here to introduce you to the great musicians and music businesses and organizations of Wisconsin. Every week, Wisconsin Music Podcast will be bringing you great information on what's happening in the Wisconsin music world. For our music-loving listeners, we'll bring you music that you haven't even heard of yet from unique and talented artists and hear about their journey so far. You'll either hear live performances of their songs or songs from their selected discography. For our musicians out there wondering what they can do to further their recognition, we'll be calling upon Wisconsin music businesses and organizations to enlighten you on what they're doing to help further your music journey. And now, here's your host, Zach Fell. Thanks, Dean. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Wisconsin Music Podcast, episode 17 with Blaine Schultz. Blaine's been playing in the Milwaukee area with multiple bands. One of the most notable ones is the Aimless Blades. He also works as a freelance writer for the Shepherd Express. So let's get right into it. Hey, Blaine, welcome to the Wisconsin Music Podcast. Thank you so much for being on. You're welcome. Why don't we do your origin story, your musical origin story? Where did you grow up? Were you part of a musical family? Were you in school band instruments you learned? Sure. Uh, I grew up in a place called Menasha, Wisconsin, which is up in the Fox Valley, and then spent a lot of time in Lakewood where my my grandparents lived, which is... Two, two hours even north of that, so that that's where I grew up. Um, I don't come from a musical family. Um, my parents could play radio, and that was, in <laughs> essence, that was, back then there was, you know, AM radios were, were really wide open. So the regional, the radio station in Nina Menashe was called WNAM, and then there was an FM station in Appleton called WAPL. And back then, those stations' formats were not nearly as restricted as what, is, what they are now. So Top 40 Radio could be really interesting and really varied back then. Um, when, I was a, when I was a toddler, my mom's sister, who was my aunt, Sean, she saw the Beatles play twice. Oh, wow. She was my primary babysitter. So I, I was schooled on what we now call the British or English invasion music. That was kind of the nursery rhymes I'd hear from her and her friends. So that, I mean, I think that spark really took hold and has been an influence throughout my life in terms of really digging music and really having a good foundation of stuff that remains vital to this day. Yeah. What instruments did you start learning when you were growing up? So when I was growing up, I didn't learn any instruments. When I got out of high school, I acquired an acoustic guitar. When I was working in Door County a couple summers, and there was a guy who played in bands up there, and he would tune it for me. You know, I didn't have, I didn't have any sense of tuning. I would get, um, I think the the first actual bit I had was a Neil Young songbook, which is you know chord formations, open chords, cowboy chords, and that yeah. kind of stuff. 
And I had um, one friend named John Kowalski and another friend named Kevin Kemps in Menasha. Um, Kevin was a skateboarder circa 77, 78. Um, he would come down to Milwaukee and he picked up on Devo and the Clash and the Sex Pistols and that stuff. And up in the Fox Valley, you could get beat up for being a punk rock punk rocker back then. Oh, okay. it was, you know, it was uh, it was it was a different world. You couldn't go to the mall and you know, buy your punk rock off the shelf. So Kevin introduced the music. John Kowalski had a band called the Frantics and he showed me the basic Chuck Berry kind of stuff. Okay. Um, I realized I didn't have a good enough ear to figure out music, figure out songs. So that's kind of where I started writing my own and realized, you know, to me, that's just as valid. And to this day, I guess that's kind of, you know, why I've kept going. I realized that if there's no, if, if nobody can tell you that you're breaking the rules, well, you just keep going, right? All right. What music projects that you find were the most inspirational as you were learning guitar and starting to play out? Up in Appleton, there was a, a record store, a used record store called New Frontier Record Exchange. And the two guys that ran that sort of became uh, de facto big brothers to me, you know, influential in terms of if you like that record, you'll listen to this one. Mm -hmm. And one of the guys at the store, Fred Burtz, was a luthier and he, he, he's probably got 10 years on me. And, you know, eventually we started going down in the basement of that store and, you know, had a four track or a two track running. And that project was called Junk Drawer. And we recorded stuff that never played out, but it was kind of, you know, influenced by Velvet Underground or, or Garage Rock or Bo Diddley, you know, okay, kind of simple, something that we would hear something say, well, we can come up with something like that. So that that was happening there. And then I went to school in Eau Claire and there were some basement, you know, situations there um, that never really got off the ground. And after that, I moved to Milwaukee. Oh, OK. Influence I had from my aunt, you know, it was kind of like I could I could connect the dots from uh, Jumpin' Jack Flash to uh a song by the Sex Pistols or the Jam. I could see, I could see something going on there. And my friend's band would play, um, they would play a gig and they would play, you know, some punk rock covers, but then they'd throw in Pipeline by the Ventures. Okay. You could kind of connect the dots and see this thread that this kind of high energy, really visceral, but really honest music didn't start in 1977 with the Sex Pistols. You know, my influences were always kind of, you know, something that was a little more obscure when I heard Neil Young and started getting into that stuff. Um, a friend's sister loaned me some eight track tapes, you know, back when yeah. people had eight tracks. So that stuff hit me pretty hard. And then I, I discovered a band called Television and then a band called The Velvet Underground. So I think between those three, you know, those were kind of really, really bedrock starting points saying, you know, I like, this is the kind of stuff that I like. I don't know if I'm ever going to achieve this level of, of greatness, to be honest with you. But, you know, that was that was the inspiration stuff. Like okay. That. And, and Patty Smith, you know, Bob Dylan, Hank Williams. Excellent. Those are top tier players. When you started putting like your first project up together, your band together, the probably the strongest band you were in. Was it put together with friends or musicians that you met? How was that all put together? We're going to kind of jump now to Milwaukee in uh, like 1989, 1990. Okay. My ex-wife wanted to to go to graduate school in milwaukee for architecture so we moved here in moving here and living on the east side of milwaukee i kind of met up with some people and i'd i'd always been i've been writing about music since 1980 so I've, I've, you know that kind of stuff had been going on and i hooked up with some people who had a, a music a monthly music paper called the newsletter which focused on local music so i started writing about that 
and then got to know people that you know we could jam with and there was a, a group called Benoit Beat which was like three or four or five women and then a couple of guys that kind of went in and out and it was masterminded by this this, this one guy named Tom Young who kind of put it together and at some point they needed a guitar player so I joined that band okay so it was their material but I've been writing my own stuff and as that band was kind of faltering I, I told a couple of the people that, you know, I've got ideas for stuff that might want to work. Do you guys want to do this? So that turned into a group called Mona Lisa Overdrive. Okay. And um, we did some recording. We won a Whammy Award, um, you know, played around the east side, and that, that kind of got up and running. People in Milwaukee might know me for that. Our, we put out a 45 that's become quote-unquote collectible. Okay. Um, we're on some compilations, you know, and, and you kind of get your head above water a little bit at that point. And, mm -hmm. you know, there was a lot of small labels back then. Every once in a while, a label would ask questions. But not that anything happened. You know, I'm, I'm not going to I'm not going to say that we were on the road to uh, going on tour with the Bengals or something like that. Yeah. But, um, so while that was going on, I was writing. Uh, I was a primary songwriter in that band. But the woman who was singing was the front person. So then I started writing stuff that was kind of a side project that ended up being the Aimless Blades. So when I left that band, the Aimless Blades kind of started up. And there were four, and this is back again in the uh, four-track cassette project stuff. We did four albums on cassette. Oh, wow. So there's, you know, it's, it's a pretty healthy discography of that. Bringing in friends to play parts, you know, where I saw fit. And then at some point, uh, one of my buddies said, well, why don't you just form a band and start playing out? So once we flipped the switch to do that, we ended up putting out four CDs and then, you know, a handful of compilation appearances. And then there's probably about an album's worth of stuff in the can. So all told the Amos Blades, you know, we're, we, we're kind of in, in dormancy now. It's like a, a self-induced coma or something. But you know, a healthy discography of eight eight albums or so of original stuff. Nice. So what year was this that the Blades started? Well, the first Aimless Blades CD came out in 2000. The first cassette, I would say, was probably about four or five years before that. Okay. Gotcha. So it goes back a ways. I mean, it goes back far enough. Sadly, that uh, a few of the people who played on the records are deceased and no longer with us. So oh. You also work with the Shepherd Express. Why don't you tell a little bit about that as well? Sure. I, well, I, we can talk a little bit about the Shepherd Express. I've been the Shepherd Express has been around for I think 38 years as a weekly publication, and then in March we ceased to go on the street for for safety reasons because of the pandemic, and then in August we ramped back up and began publication as a glossy monthly magazine. I've been writing about music for the Shepherd Express since I've been in town pretty much. And then um, a little over two years ago, they asked me to come over there full time. So that's been my, my gig. So depending on what day of the week it is, I'll handle, I'll, I'll do some writing. I'll do distribution, getting, uh, you know, stuff on the streets, getting a route set up or doing membership functions. There's just a little bit of juggling that goes on, but it's, it's a very, it's a very cool place to work. Okay. At the Shepherd Express, just so the listeners are clear on exactly what your position is there, what kind of stuff are you doing at the Shepherd Express? 
Yeah. So there's no clear answer. It depends okay. on the day of the week. Okay. Um, I write about, I've been writing about music for the Shepherd Express as a freelancer since I've been in town up until two years ago when I was hired full time. People probably know me as a writer. Um, I've written about tons and tons of local music. I wrote for a publication up in the Fox Valley called The Scene, where I did a, a column there called Postcard for Milwaukee, where I would focus on Milwaukee artists primarily and, and get that out to the rest of the state, the, the, you know, the, the central part of the state. I wrote for a, a publication in Madison called Night Sights and Sounds for a while. There was one in Milwaukee called uh, Vital Source, uh, the newsletter, Spaceball Ricochet. You know, there's, there's a lot of, if there's such thing as a paper trail anymore, I guess, yeah. you know, there's a lot of stuff that I'd written about. Local music primarily, but, you know, it could be anything. And my fortune has been that I pretty much was able to pick and choose what I wanted to write about. So I could spread the word about stuff that I thought was cool. Which is great because especially when you're focusing on local music and that's kind of what this podcast is trying to do is bring recognition to a lot of the local music within Wisconsin. What are some of the things that you have observed over the last five, 10 years that you think would help local musicians help themselves become more recognized within the, the local music scene? The first thing that I've noticed in the last five years or so is that I'm getting really old. <laughs> Aren't we all? Not that I'm out of, not that I'm out of touch. A lot of, a lot of people um, in my age group are still playing, but uh, as you've as you've probably seen, uh, home recording has leveled the playing field. Are there any record labels anymore? I don't know. Maybe there's like one or two conglomerates who claim to be a record label. I think that's happening again. As a lot of small independent people are trying to become a, a label as a part of their business that they have already, like a recording studio or an advertising or whatever. But I think that's coming around again. Yeah, there's there's a there's a uh, a dude named uh, Kevin who has a label in Milwaukee called Dusty Medical Records. And if your listeners want to uh, hear some cool stuff, he's he's put out a bunch of local, local based on Madison stuff. But Dusty Medical Records, if you want to, if you want a paradigm for how to do a record in this uh, uh, record label in this era, he's really doing it right. In what way? Well, he, he picks and chooses and, and gives artists their own latitude and then when the finished products come out, it's like, holy cow, this, this could be a lo-fi kind of thing. And it's like really cool. Or it can be a band that's you could tell their influences are Queen or, you know, FM radio. And it's really cool. The most recent thing he did is a series of four albums by bands that broke up. Now, think about this. I'm going to put out an album by a band that broke up. You're shooting yourself in the foot. Why would you even do that? He put out four albums of really cool music by bands that no longer exist, but these are archival, essentially these are now archival releases. And what he did was he started a series. So these four albums come out with, with a similar looking cover and they have a checkout card. Remember when you go to the library and you check out a book and there'd be a card and they'd stamp on it? So these records come, these albums come with that. So he's already got this, this, this notion in his head of people who are gonna connect the dots to what this is. And then you listen to these records and they're like, you know, four really good. One of the records um, by a band called Space Raft is one of the best things, you know, in Milwaukee in probably the last 10 years. And they're no longer a band. You know, it, it, it's ironic and it's beautiful at the same time. Let's talk about venues. What did you feel was positives about the venues you played at? And what were some of the, I'm not asking for names of the venues, but just like 
things you observed? What were some good positives and some negatives that maybe upcoming musicians should look out for? I guess we could call those like red flags. In the 1980s in Milwaukee, there was a power pop band called The Shivers, who were really, really big stuff. Played headline the rock stage at Summerfest on the big nights and stuff. Um, two of those people, uh, Scott Krieger and Jim Richardson, ended up playing in the Amos Blades. So I've got the benefit of these people who have experience above me being in the band and Jill Kosaurus, who, who wrote and was the front woman for the Shivers contributed to the Amos Blades immensely. So I, I had the benefit of hearing stories from these guys, their experiences. And when I was 18, it was an 18 year old drinking age, but I was up North, but they would tell me about when they were able to play the bars around here, they could make a living, a band, an unsigned band playing original music. They could make a living playing bars. So when, when 18 turned to 21, that definitely changed. Um, by that point, I was on the east side. And there were clubs like the Boardwalk. I played the Boardwalk. I played Hooligans. I played Shank Hall. I played Quarters in its first incarnation. I played Lineman, Circle A. And all of these places, in some ways, the smaller ones, it, it's almost like playing in somebody's living room. And you're dealing one-on-one with the owner, the manager, whoever's booking the bands. Mm-hmm. So that, that interface is pretty undiluted. So there, there, there's no extraneous, usually there's no extraneous conflict. So you know when to load in, you know how long you're going to play. And it's, it's, a, it's a pretty easygoing situation. That's as cool as it gets. Um, having played some festivals and summer fest about a half a dozen times, there's logistics involved there, right? You, yeah. you play at Lindemans, you park up front. You, you're playing at Summerfest. Well, you got to know what lot to be in and what time, and you only have one pass for one car, and how are you going to, you know? Mm-hmm. And you get to play on a huge stage, not a huge stage, but a big stage, yeah. and you get, you know, tons of people watching you and passing you by. So any situation that I would even gripe about in the smallest sense is going to be snowballed by how much fun even the worst gig is. You know yourself. It's oh, like, yeah. you know, you can micro, you can put the gig under a microscope when you're done and kick yourself for making one mistake on one solo on one song. But at the end of the day, probably about 10 years ago, I started, you know, taking a few minutes before gigs. If, if I'm mindful and present enough, just, just to think, you know, when I was growing up in Menasha, I never had any idea. I'd be playing a gig at a bar in Milwaukee on a Saturday night and people would come to see us. Having the fortune to do that and appreciating it outweighs any any kind of griping or, or you know, you probably have people on your podcast who could whine about stuff and this should have happened to us, but this didn't. But, you know, take that with a grain of salt. That's, that's nothing. Yeah. In a kind of a different look at it, what do you think is oppressing or suppressing the local music scene? What's not allowing it to grow the way it should? Obviously, you know, we're in the middle of the country and we're not an entertainment center, an entertainment city, other than Summerfest for that one week. You know, there's not really a spotlight on Milwaukee. And you can look at the bands that have broke through, you know, and for whatever yeah. reason. But that being said, getting back to the technology that we were talking about before, the best thing about home studios is that anybody can put out a record. The worst thing about home studios is anybody can put out a record. <laughs> so that playing field really is level. So if you're good, you can, you can make manufacture, you can control everything. Right. Yeah. And if you can get that into the right hands, you know, how many of these young artists 
were became household names because they were first seen on YouTube when they're nobody and all of a sudden click, 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 click. That realistically can happen to somebody from Milwaukee tomorrow. Right. So, you know, I think, I think if you want to know what oppresses people from, from being successful, I think it's, it's only their own nature of saying, I can't do this because you can always do it. And to whatever level you're successful, that's kind of up to you. And then on the other side of that coin, what do you think is helping bring musicians to the limelight? In as much as I don't know if there is a scene or scenes in Milwaukee anymore, putting putting quotes around those terms. What I've found since I've been here is that the people I've talked to have been very supportive. People who've been around who put records out before I did, you know, always open with advice, helping other people get gigs. And I don't know if it's the 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 Midwest nice or the the Milwaukee work ethic or what it is, but I think one of the most positive things about this city is you can be at a practice space and you hear can somebody playing and you can stick your head in the door and say, what is that song you're playing? How are you doing that? You know, and somebody say, well, this chord progression is from this, you know, blah, blah, blah. I don't think people are as guarded here. And I don't know for a fact, I don't, without having experienced stuff in other cities, yeah, people are pretty open about yeah. stuff. You know, gig wise, we, I play in a group called the River West Aces. We've been together for probably about 13 years. And that was kind of an acoustic offshoot of the Amos Blades. And we will be playing like outdoors in the summer. And if somebody wants to come up with and jam with us, you know, it's like, come on up, plug in, you know, and I think that's beneficial to everybody. Yeah. It's networking, basically. You, you know, you meet people and you start talking and hopefully use each other as ladders to help you guys get higher and higher up into other people's thoughts going, oh, I want to go see them because of this person or I want to go see them because of this. And I guess I guess a, a concrete example would be that when I first moved to town and I was writing for the newsletter, I got a cassette tape in the mail from four high school kids in New Berlin. And it was, it was pretty cool, you know, but it's, yeah. it, you know, it was like, it was like a cold call out of the blue. This thing came to me and I listened to it and I thought it was really cool. And it reminded me of stuff. And I wrote about it. And years later, you know, those guys said, do you remember when we sent you that tape? And I, <laughs> one of those guys, Bob Eikhoff is in a band called, called the Carolinas and Bob and I have been working on projects together for the last, I don't know, 12, 15 years, you know, and it, it, it was just as simple as that is saying, you know, this is cool. And exactly. then it, it, it's, it's the, the simplest form of networking. Yep. I, I totally agree. Let's talk about some songs from some bands you've been in. There's, there's a song on the, the Amos Blade CD, Rara Avis that's called Natus Terminus, which is about my mom. Okay. And uh, it references my brother and my dad. Um, so I think it, you know, verse by verse, it kind of references those people. Um, and I guess the, the, the joke, I guess, in terms of dark humor, my mom, my dad, and my brother all are all dead. So it's kind of a, it takes, takes an even darker hue. Yeah. Uh, if you want to look at it that way, but um the song starts with the line, my mother left me her drugs. My brother keeps them in a little bag, which could be like some sort of a junkie's lament, right? Right, right. But in this case, my mom had a, a pancreatic cancer. She was terminal. And um, when my brother and I and my sister went to clear out her house, my brother took all of her prescriptions and put them in one bag. And he handed them. He said, here, mom wanted you to have these, <laughs> which was it was a joke. Yeah, was, I don't right. Know if it, I, I we thought it was funny. I right. Know. I don't know if you know in the in the in the wrong in the wrong company of people it might not be funny. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I'll I'll send you I'll, when you when you hear the songs, you know, I'll send them to you, and you can you can kind of decide for yourself. Three, four.
My brother sits alone in his garage He laid the patio slab by slab His children play until it turns dark There's another song that was called the Mekong Delta Blues, which is autobiographical in as much as I could reconstruct my uncle who was in the Vietnam War. He was a Marine, a Marine staff sergeant, and he, uh, he, he tried to get in the Marines before he was old enough. And okay. then my grandma signed for him, and then he ended up, you know, after he got out, he came back and kind of tried to fit into society and ended up dying of cancer, which... You know, a lot of guys who were over in the jungles of Vietnam yeah. developed cancer. Right. So that's, you know, that's that. So that, I mean, that's kind of an epic card charging thing. Um, you know, I'm, I'm looking really hard to find uh, something that's lighthearted and humorous here. <laughs> and maybe that's, uh, maybe that gives me uh, my next songwriting assignment to come up with something that's, <laughs> um, yeah. That's a dire, I don't know.
Work-life balance. How do you balance your work and personal life with your music? Yeah, I, I have a wife who, who's also a big music fan, and she's very supportive. And she's in the other room. I hope she can hear this. And uh, she actually just started playing banjo. Oh, cool. Maybe we'll be a, maybe we'll be a duo at some point. I, I think that throughout your life, things change. Like you mentioned yourself, what's, mm-hmm. what's the number one rule of the universe? Everything changes. Yep. So there was a time in my in my life when I lived by myself and I had a four track set up in my living room and I'd come home and I'd start working on music. Those days are gone and you know they were what they were. And now it's like uh, if I'm alone at night, I'll, I've, I've got um I've got the next record essentially written. So I've got a, a binder with the twelve or thirteen songs, whatever. And I'll go over those and I'll kind of fine tune those after everybody's gone to bed taking the dog for a walk or going for a ride, you know, stuff goes through your head. You kind of clear your mind. Mm-hmm. You, you, you set yourself up to have these pockets of time when you can allow your radar to be up and music to kind of happen. But you know, when you're, when you're at work or when you got something else to do, you got something else to do. Um, I've got two 21 year old kids upstairs and they're into their own kind of music and we kind of bounce ideas off each other at times. And, you know, I don't, entirely understand what they're talking about 
and they don't un- entirely buy into what I'm talking about. But, you know, we, there's spots where we meet and it's like, wow, that's cool. Who is that? What's going on there? You know? So, I mean, life, life is pretty big. You know, if you, if you want to restrict yourself, go ahead and do it. But why, you know, a song, a song can come from anywhere. And, and with the invention of these little things, phones, yeah. there's no reason why you can't, can't pull over and record something, you know, when an idea comes to your head. So yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And I guess in, in terms of that, there's another song It's called uh, El Camino Blues. Okay. And I was on a bike ride and I was on a bike ride one day and this will date me. I was, uh, had an idea for this song in my head and I was down by the lakefront, Milwaukee lakefront. And I, and I had this idea and I pulled over and there were still pay phones back then. And I had an answering machine at home. So I called my answering machine and <laughs> I came up with the initial idea for this song and it, you know, ended up being something that we recorded. So very cool. Yeah. I mean, you used that technology of that time to your full advantage. One of the last things I ask is what's on your playlist right now. Like are there artists, local artists that you are really digging that you want to bring limelight to them or or anything else that's on your playlist? Yeah. The the space raft record that I mentioned, let me see. There was a, a, a posthumous release by a group called the Petter Hedman Quartet, which came out on rock house records, which is just fantastic. Mike Fredrickson, who is a Milwaukee songwriter who seems to be able to put out a record a year without, without any problem. Mike Fredrickson's stuff never gets old. You could, you could fill his stuff up in an iPod. Um, Boy, semi twang. There's, there's jazz. There's kind of a low key jazz scene in Milwaukee, which since the pandemic hit, you can't go out and see, see stuff, but there, there's a club on the East side called the estate where you could wander in there Friday or Saturday night late and, and just, you know, see some really good people cooking and playing, you know, it's like, we don't deserve this here. (laughs) There's, there's a a guy named Voot Warnings who probably has a record that he's working on. Voot Warnings music could hold up in any city. He's that good boy. You know, get me started. I could come up with a list. There, yeah. This this city really has a wealth of talent. And when, when clubs are back up and running, you know, you can stumble into so many places, uh, a hole in the wall, like circle a, I don't know if you've ever been in there, but the, uh, the capacity, the capacity might be 75, but it's probably not legally 75. And you can see, you know, just flat out great stuff there in a low key environment. And, you know, people are pretty ego free. You know, and it's, that's good. It's really cool stuff. Linneman's open mic every Wednesday when that gets up and running. You can see people trying out new music on stage, you know, that might end up on a, in a record in a year or so. Cool. Yeah. I surely hope that live music, this pandemic gets under control so we can go back and start listening to live music again because stuff on YouTube and Facebook Live and Instagram Live and all that other kind of stuff, it's, it's cool. It's gimmicky, but there's no replacement of actual human interaction and going and enjoying the environment and the atmosphere of live music. Yeah. And I, and I think I would put a caveat to what you just said. It's not cool. You know, it's not cool at all. It's, it's, no. the, best, it's the best we can do right now. Right. Yes, exactly. You know, it's cool that people are doing it, but boy, it's, it's really a far cry from, from that visceral experience of being in a room with air moving and somebody's emotion coming at you. Yes. You know, that, that's got to come back. That really has to. Well, thanks, Blaine, for being on the Wisconsin Music Podcast. I really appreciate you being on, and this was such a great conversation. You bet, Zach. This has been fun. If you have any follow-ups or something, let me know. Uh, 
I'm, I'm not the most articulate person sometimes, but I try to get my point across in a, in, in a, in a, in a well, there I am stumbling. On yeah. <laughs> Same here. I, I'm not the greatest orator, but I try to do the best I can. Well, that was the conversation with Blaine Schultz of the Aimless Blades. Once again, I'd like to thank Nate Wyckoff of Frequency Farm Recording for recording over intro personality. Also, like to thank Jacob at cwhiphop.com for syndicating our podcast every Monday at 4 p.m. and ZTF Studio for sponsoring the podcast. Have a great week, everybody. And here is Blaine Schultz playing us out. No